Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Mark Graham, co-founder of Right Sleeve and Common Skew, and I am joined today by my fellow Promo Kitchen chef, Brad White, VP of Sales at Boundless Network, and welcome to the Promo Kitchen podcast. Our guest today is Lon McGowan. Lon is the CEO and founder of iClick, a leading supplier of branded USB flash drives, writing instruments, mobile accessories, and apparel decoration. The company was founded in 2001 and now employs 64 employees with offices in Seattle and Boulder. Within each of these highly competitive and commoditized product segments, iClick has applied their trademark customer service and design sensibilities to breathe new life into tired categories. Lon is a curious and driven entrepreneur who has differentiated himself within the areas of customer service, branding, and workplace culture. Lon is a good friend and someone who I have admired for many years as a model business leader. Lon joins us today from his home base in Boulder, Colorado, where he lives with his wife and two young kids. Lon, thanks for being here, my friend. Well, thank you both for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, why don't we start off with an easy one for you, Lon. Um, why don't you give us a little bit of, uh, I, I certainly know the history and I've always been fascinated by it, but your story as an entrepreneur, how you decided to get into this crazy industry and how iClick has evolved from just a one-man band to 64 employees. <laughs> I don't know if that's an easy one. That might take up the entire uh, web, uh, or a podcast here. Well, Brad will um, cut you off. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so I started the business right out of uh, out of college when I moved to uh, when I moved to Seattle, and um, I had this uh, idea to uh, import uh, digital cameras in uh, from China, and that was at the at the beginning of the digital revolution of things, kind of the digital cameras and USB drives and MP3 players starting to make their make their mark on uh, in the U.S. And one of the first things to go digital was digital cameras. And I saw this opportunity because at the time, the digital camera market was kind of littered with the you know, more expensive and kind of $400 plus cameras out there. But I had noticed that there were things that you could uh, buy in other countries, other digital cameras in the sub $100 range that were inexpensive um, and more for the general public. So I had this idea of building a retail brand based on this notion of, of low cost, um, uh, affordable, and, and approachable technology. Um, and the first was going to be this digital camera. So I came up with the name iClick um, based on that, and that's how that the click came to be. And um, and so I quit my job, and I uh, you know took out maybe about 14 credit cards or so, and borrowed money, and did whatever I could to uh, to bring over the first shipment of, of cameras from this factory that I had found in China. And um, I brought over 500 cameras, and and they came over. My intent was to sell through retail and start building my brand. And that was in, uh, in 2001, and, and uh, we did that for about a year. And I had, had at the end of that first year, I had two employees, and we were getting into some different retail um, outlets and small chains. Um, but it brought about the end of that first year, I got a call from uh, an individual um, who said that they were a promotional products distributor that was in Seattle, and they wanted to buy uh, something like, I think it was like 2,000 cameras. And that was essentially like doubling the, the entire sales for the organization hmm. in one year. Hmm. And, uh, and best of it was I didn't, uh, uh, there were going to be no returns and they were going to buy them and there was a fixed price and they were going to pay up front. And uh, needless to say, I obviously pursued that and uh, you know, luckily we got the deal and we, we, uh, we sold those uh, cameras to them and that was kind of the start and the introduction to the entire industry. And from that, we kind of spent time 
seeing that as an opportunity, building that that space out in the promotional products industry, while at the same time doing retail. And I kind of had this 50-50 business until about 2004, when at that point we'd had done other products like USB drive and MP3 players and digital cameras. And uh, but at that point in 2004, I decided that you know I needed to pick a path, and I really enjoyed. Uh, the opportunities that I could see in the promotional products uh, industry, so it just said let's let's just own that space, and so we did, and we uh, got rid of the retail side of the business and focused in on the promotional product side, and and the rest is history, and continued to grow ever since. Long, this is Brad. I um, what I'm hearing you say is a lot about how you started based on a, on a product idea, but I I would assume rather quickly. You went from bringing products to the market to building a proper company, and I think anyone that knows anything about the iClick story uh, knows that culture is a big part of the way you do things. So I'm just curious, what's it like to start your own company, have some success, and then delegate um, and include others in, in your team, and then, and then how do you go about building that type of culture? That's a great question, and it's. I think it's like something that is that is the same at every stage of the business. You know, it's like there's the first stage, which is just hiring one other person, right, and delegating and building culture with two people in an office, and that's um, completely different than having a third person in, and then you start building what you know team. Um, and I think at each point, I wanted to, you know, continue to to be as open as possible with the with the folks in the beginning to, to let them in on the process of building the company. So it wasn't like, you know, fully closed door. It wasn't like, you know, laying down, here are the values and here are the ways that we're going to be different uh, and sell them once and never talk about it again. It was an evolution because it had to evolve as we our business changed and as we added more employees and different people came and went. Um, so for us it was, um, it was that just, I think it was just being open and, and, and allowing the group to be, part of that evolution because the culture isn't just about what I want, it's about what it be, the company uh, becomes of, with all the members that are part of it. The, the, the other kind of like the, the, the next step after that was once we started having uh, layers of management. That was a very different um, you know, process for me to go through. I had, felt like I had a lot of experience in being able to build the culture with uh, just people that I was directly managing and working with, and we were all able to kind of collaborate together as a team and evolve as a team. When that layer of management started coming in, it was a different approach, and it was one that had to be more. Um, I had to let go of some, maybe some of the ideas and things that I had had in the past, because other people coming in needed the autonomy to be able to develop their own mini cultures within their departments, and that just again took time, uh, and I think the willingness and openness for me to be able to just allow those things to mature, and because because I think that the, the key with culture and good culture is that people that have built it know that it can't be forced, and you have to just let it take its natural course and 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 be open to that. And I think that's one of the things that was helped us be successful with that. Lon, you uh, produced this great video um, titled "Be Remarkable." I think you guys produced it last year and uh, for, for the for those people that haven't seen the video who are listening to the podcast uh, it, it's a really interesting journey and an expression of how it is that you guys run as a company and your culture and your brand values and 
and everything that makes iClick special. Um, can you walk us through the journey of producing the video and like why it became such a um, an important part of uh, your marketing in uh, twenty thirteen? Well, we had the we came up with the, the just the campaign of be remarkable because it was something that we felt it was a, it was it was something that we kept hearing a lot. If you looked through like the surveys, people would write about it. it. Was like you guys have remarkable service, or you did this, you do that, and and when we kind of broke down the word remarkable too, and thinking about its 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 impactfulness to the organization as a as kind of a rally cry for our troops, you know, it really forces people to do something, not just be good, not just be great, but do things for our customers that make them remark, right? make them tell that it's so great that they're telling somebody else about it. And in fact, we have that even as our internal kind of gauge on whether things we do are uh, well received is how remarkable are they. So if we do like an internal event for people, are they going back to their home and telling their spouse about it. Like they're going out with their some friends, they like, even though they're like, you know what, I just been really fun at work today, let me tell you about it. And it takes a lot to get people to tell other people about an experience. And mm -hmm. so that was kind of our goal. And we thought, you know, that's neat. Let's use that as something that we can go out and do. And then the idea that, you know, and from the distributor's point of view, creating a remarkable promotion, that's the whole goal, right? It's like, it, it doesn't happen all the time, but if the goal is always that to, to take a company uh, and with their brand and using a product and some sort of promotion in a way that makes the receive the person on the receiving end, you know, remark about it, keep the product, talk about it. That's the whole. That's the entire goal of what we're trying to do in the promotional product industry. So we thought it was like really well-rounded and it spoke to who we were and, and 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 what it is that we do. And then the idea to do the video <clears throat> was so that we could um, we wanted to bring ev give everybody an opportunity to have a voice that I click who usually doesn't. It's usually just the salespeople and customer service. Yeah. There's so many people, and one of the special things about iClick that that I really appreciate is that it's a vertically integrated company all under one roof. You know, we have the 64 people, and it's everything from manufacturing and warehouse uh, all the way up to uh, you know to our president, uh, all under the same roof. And that diversity that it creates is really special, and I think people. Uh, can appreciate that because so many, so much, so many companies are. It, it feels like it's all kind of the same group, same types of people working in an office, and it gets sterile after a while. It's kind of neat to see a to see a company that has that kind of vertical vertical integration all built in there. We wanted just to showcase that and give everybody that the light for a little bit, and it, it worked out quite well. Mark brought up your kind of uh, your campaign with Be Remarkable and. At, as a distributor that gets marketed to by you know thousands of suppliers, I don't see a ton of differentiation in supplier marketing, but yours is noticeable. And I'm just curious, what's your what's your process? What do you what do you do in your marketing department? How do you come up with ideas? How do you go about differentiating yourself in the marketplace? Yeah, well, you know we we that's a it's really interesting because it's it, uh, we fought a lot about like just a lot of discussions about what is marketing in this industry from the kind of distributor to supplier uh, perspective and you know what it came down to which is a very simple premise that we and we can really you can kind of you know uh, rip off this in many different ways but the premise is that we distributors time is valuable and we, and, and we can't waste distributors time and that that's it and so anything we did we felt like we got to give them something of value and value doesn't always mean like you know here's ten percent off. It could be like a bring a smile to your face, and you know just a really quick thing, and make it fast. 
doesn't have to be a long newsletter that lasts, you know, you have to, it, spends, it takes five minutes to read because none of us have that kind of time. And so we can't expect to be able to take that time away from our distributors. So we said, let's just do things that are quick, that are interesting, makes people laugh, makes people smile. Um, and at the same time, give them something to be successful with. You know, here's like a here's a special or whatnot. I mean, we're not doing this for charity. We do need to push out some of our products and, and keep people abreast of what it is that we're doing, but do it in a way that didn't felt feel like we were wasting a distributor's time. And I felt like as we looked at a lot of the, the marketing and stuff that's out there, as far as it's it's all kind of a it's a waste of time. Like nobody's reading through that stuff. And um, and the other piece too, I'll say that we we also agreed on, which was that it didn't really matter what it was that we were marketing to the distributors because it we, we can't we can't push distributors to to buy from us at that time because it's it, it's a relationship that is built around the the top of mind awareness that you know when you think USB drives you just hope you think about iClick and you don't have a USB drive order every day you don't have a pen order every day that you're going to use iClick for but when you do you think about us and so it's just for us just to get in your drinking water just enough that we're there it's not a nuisance we're not wasting your time um, but we're there enough that you don't forget us and I think that's worked uh, worked really well in our favor and I mean to to build on Brad's point uh, Lon I, th I think what's so interesting and also giving you a perspective from distributor uh, angle as well that if you open up a, a, an industry publication, the ads are predominantly product-based. It'll there'll be a pen. It'll say forty-nine cents on a C, and include one color imprint, and 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 that that's fine. It's very product-oriented, uh, very transaction-oriented, very very black and white. And and I and I think there's value in that advertising. But I remember looking. I think it was Counselor Magazine that you would run the belly band ad uh, campaign on, and. Uh, you weren't really talking about USB drives. You weren't talking about uh, uh, writing instruments. You were talking about watch our video. And I think that it, it's quite remarkable, no <laughs> no pun intended there, but uh, that, that you're bold enough to rise above the product. And it's a real struggle even on the distributor side. When we think about how it is that we market to end clients, a lot of end clients see us as interchangeable, as commoditized, yeah. equal players with no difference between us. And um, so I think it was really, really bold what you did. It was very inspiring. And I, I had a question in here, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> um, so that, that that was just more of a comment that I wanted to throw back at you. Thank you. Um, I'm I'm interested in the fact, Lon, that you have gone after uh, large, uh, competitive, and commoditized product categories, and it almost seems like you're doing it on purpose. Like I, I knew you back in the USB days, and I remember the conversation when you said to me, like, "Hey, Mark, we're getting into writing instruments," and then certainly remember when you got into decorating. And these aren't sexy categories; these are are categories that are dominated by huge players. Um, why did you make the decision to go into those categories as opposed to uh, more niche-oriented categories with presumably higher margins and, and yeah. maybe a greater opportunity to differentiate? Well, you know, we thought that for us, we looked at it like what was our value proposition in, in, in you know, with, within the marketplace, and it wasn't about the products. I mean, you know, it, 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 many people can get quality products in all the categories, right? We all have access to the sourcing. As long as you're good and you've got your, you know, your systems in place, uh, we can get 
pretty much anything we want, we can kind of launch into the other categories. We just what we figured out that you know our obviously our competitive advantage has been our service, and and, and our process by which we by which we serve our customers and that and the order processing and the speed and whatnot. And um, we spend a lot of money and we invest a lot of our energy into providing that. So we don't have a lot of money left over for um, for developing markets, developing new. Um, uh, new products that that the marketplace hasn't yet accepted, and mm. I mean I have been through that, and and even we do we're doing some mobile accessories now that are a little you know outside of maybe some of the norm, and I, and I see it again. And back in the day, you know, eight eight nine years ago, when we had more innovative products that we were offering to the industry, they create a lot of buzz, they create um, a lot of sample orders because everybody wants to go in with that order to go show their to go show uh, their customer. Yeah. Uh, Along with other things, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, the white T-shirt is still the it's still the hot seller because corporate America buys safe, and you know, people aren't willing to take the risks on all the new cool products and things that are out there. They're interested in them. There's a market for it, but it's not big enough for us to really to go after. And so, for us, it was about taking these kind of commoditized spaces and making them better. And a lot of times, you know, as we've looked at them all. There, um, there's opportunity because the players in them have been really complacent for sometimes decades, and you look at because you know it's a commodity. They're at the top of the commodity, and you know it's the same sales volume every year that it's been for this this category. Um, so for us, though, it is a, you know it is a market share play. It's not like we're growing uh, the space, but it works and it, it plays to our uh, to our competitive advantage. Now on that same topic, it's interesting that we're discussing this because I was recently in Orlando and I noticed that there, there are smaller supplier companies that have become known maybe for one product and they're identified with that one product. And I know that it's difficult, having been a, a supplier like that myself, I know that it's difficult to expand your product line and maintain your identity. Hmm. You know, do you do you put a lot of, of focus in that? How do you do that? Because I see many of these suppliers they have a tremendous amount of product categories, but maybe their identity becomes a little cloudy. Yeah, I think that we really are. I mean, I'm incredibly uh, conscientious of that, and it's something that you know we still. I would, if you ask most people, like what's I collect, they would say USB drives. Um, but we have been very conscious about making that shift slowly. So we could have, and a lot of suppliers, they do the one product, they become successful, or maybe off the bat they do this, they go right into launching you know, 20 different product lines. You find the you know, big factory out in China that makes a lot of stuff, a trader out there, and you just you backload your, um, your, uh, your catalog, and you could have a thousand products you know, in three months. And now you have the full offering, and you do it through customer service. But it's, it's what the heck is that you know, to a lot of people? And so we wanted to stair step it, and so for us it was it was the pens when we launched the writing instruments, and kind of as Mark said, it was like, wow, writing instruments—that's really commoditized. What are you doing getting into that? So we wanted it to be a bit of a shocker for people, but we didn't want it to be like we were didn't know who we were. We picked a very specific category. So then it was only two: it was USB drives and pens. But it got people's minds wrapped around the idea that we're not just USB drives. It wasn't like we're everything. It's where USB drives and pens. And then the third product category that came up was mobile accessories, which made perfect sense to everybody. That's what we should have done on the second product category. Hmm. We didn't want to do that yet. We wanted to get people on board to say we're, dip, we're not just electronics. So we're stair-stepping this, getting it further and further along so that we can offer more products. But 
you know, our goal isn't to isn't to do the whole like the, every product category at just at one fell swoop. We're going to conscientiously look at categories that make sense to our business and what we can play to, and launch those as categories. And so, whatever the next one is, will be one specific category that we'll go after, um, and then and we'll launch within that. I think that allows us to be more experts in that too. You know, we've heard a lot of some of the stories from distributors who, you know, contact some of the bigger companies that offer everything, and you know, it's uh, they do a great job, I think, in delivering it. But you know, in terms of from the sales reps' perspective, it's really, really difficult to be an expert at those things because there's just way too many products. And so, our people are really important to us. And if all it is is a website that can sell that stuff, um, then we lose our competitive advantage. We want to make sure that we have that that expertise that's needed to keep our people at the forefront. So, Lon, tell, so I'm interested in the story of iClick Decorate. So, while on one hand, you know, I had inferred that the decorating industry is is old and somewhat commoditized and competitive, but at the same time, it is actually a bit of a departure from your USB pen mobile accessory trajectory because now you're getting into a space that, as far as I know, no one else is doing with regard to these like a kind of a rolled up contract decorating uh, one-stop shop type service. Um, so in many respects, it was quite a bold departure from uh, high where you uh, a USB supplier. <laughs> now you're getting into the clothing business. I, I'm really curious about your thought process in evaluating that market and, and also curious as to how it's gone. I know that you launched uh, a little bit less than a year ago and um, are, are things as a two-part question, are, are things sure. going uh, to expectation? Things are, are going phenomenally well, and we're really, we're really encouraged by the response we've gotten so far from it. I mean, there's a lot, this industry moves really slowly, and we, we know that, and, but we know that it takes time for people to get kind of warmed up to it, but already, you know, we're processing orders every day, we're, we're learning more about the space, we're adjusting, we're tweaking, and it's been great, and we're starting to sign up some really big contracts and big deals aside from just kind of the one-off stuff that comes through all the time. And so that's been, that's been really encouraging. The, our thought process um, getting into this, it really started with our, um, our kind of exploratory intentions to, uh, to buy some decorators because we thought it was an interesting space to be in. So we, now I say buy because we thought that maybe that was the only option for us to get into space. And the reason though we wanted to be in this space is because um, from the perspective of the supplier, or really anybody in this industry, there's only one thing that sets our, our industry apart from any other product industry or distributor or supplier or warehouse uh, uh, you know, of, of any other industry, and that is the customization of the logo on the product. Mm. Without that, we're all just selling USB drives, and you could just be buy from uh, Ingram Micro or anybody else because they're buy off the shelf and you give it to somebody as a giveaway. Yep. The only thing that separates our industry is that we put a logo on it. Now, how that logo gets put on and where it gets put on, as long as you are in that space, then you're in the industry no matter what happens with kind of distributor, supplier, China, overseas, all those things. Be the person that's putting the logo on and you've really set yourself up for, I think, a really solid structure moving forward. So that was kind of our intent of looking at that as like a, a space that we wanted to play in. And we looked at that and said, you know, what's happened though is it's, again, it's like we talked about, it's, very, it's bifurcated, it's all over. It's, it's, there's nobody that centrally has brought that together. Um, and so we wanted to get into the space somehow. And so for us, 
uh, this made the most sense in looking at what was it that distributors needed that wasn't being offered. I mean, everybody's got their local um, decorator that they work with, that they trust, that they like, um, and they do a fine job. We're saying, um, let's take an opportunity where people might have national programs, where you have a client that's in New York and you have to be in California, and why would you ship it from California over to New York when, you know, Samar's got a warehouse out there, you just buy it from them, but you don't know who the decorators are. And then we come in there. And so it's just for us to start getting involved in, in this space. Um, and uh, we thought it was a really good entrance uh, and a way for us to do that. So, you know, Lon, you're talking a lot about, it, it's interesting listening to you because you talk a lot less about what you do and I think a lot more about how you do it. And I think it's good advice for suppliers. But I'm also interested, you know, when you're a supplier, you see different distributors, how they operate. And I'm just curious if you would have any advice for a distributor on how best to work with iClick or what kind of tips you have on the inside for them to be more successful when working with their suppliers. Um, you know, I think that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, most distributors, it's gotten, I would have to say over the years, I mean, distributors have gotten more and more, uh, I think, more, They've modernized a lot of their processes and approach. I, I think that before, you know, like even five, six years ago, I mean, the, the number of kind of faxed orders we were getting and things like that really put a lot of um, pressure on suppliers and, and made it hard for us to deliver things faster. Um, but now I think a lot more distributors are kind of getting more on the bandwagon, electronic, uh, you know, emails and things like that, which makes life a lot easier for us. But um, in terms of how best to be successful. I think that the, the thing that I see which is still lacking is the, um, the trust. And I don't know if it's from, from bad experiences in the past. Uh, I wouldn't say it's with iClick, but if people have been burned in the past by suppliers going around the distributors or whatnot, but if it's a partnership and it's a true partnership in the true sense of the word, then you have to open up to what your projects are that you're working on, you know, not even if it's not who the client, what is it for? What's the promotion? Like what, what are the goals? And work together with the supplier to be able to achieve that. I feel like too many times distributors keep things close to their chest because they don't want to, you know, give too much information away. And that just doesn't help or give the supplier any, any more information other than, well, here's your price. You know, here's your price and, and here's your delivery date. And that's not really collaborative. And I think that there is more opportunity for distributors and suppliers to collaborate. And there's a lot of value in that that suppliers really do appreciate being a part of that. Cool. And real quick, I just I'm working at home today, and if you guys hear purring, it's it's my cat. She is really happy <laughs> I'm home, and I, I apologize, but get her off of me right now. Literally on my on on my back and purring in my ear. She she's a lover. So sorry. Go ahead, Go ahead Mark. I love it. I just I didn't uh, want you to think it was me. You, you you know what I, I it's a real shame this isn't a video podcast you know this would be it would be so much more exciting uh, I want to know what Brad looks like on the other end right now he's a, he's at home <laughs> cat on my neck yeah he's, he's got he's got a cat hat on him um it's Lon switch switching gears um you know I, I as I I uh, focused on in my introduction for you um you're you know I I. This might be a, a funny way to describe you, but I, I think of you more as an entrepreneur than I think of you as a supplier. And the reason I say that is 
that I'd say two reasons. The, the first of which is that you you've always taken this um, kind of a non-product view to running your business. Uh, you know, we talked about the Be Remarkable. We've just talked about that. The whole, the whole idea of all the other things uh, other than writing instruments or USB drives. But the other thing is is that you've just opened up a a, a retail shop in Boulder, uh, not in the promotional products business at all. Um, and so you, you've obviously followed your entrepreneurial dream to now go and um, work outside of iClick, and you've now extended into this into this other business. So I'm I'm curious as to the journey you've been on. Uh, you you left uh, Seattle uh, to. Uh, go to Boulder to go open up this new business, and like I, I'm curious as to what your life looks like now compared to 12 years ago when you first started out. Hmm. Well, it's um, I feel like my my uh, my passion of of you know, entrepreneurship and my what drives me is identical to what it was then, um, and so for me, like I feel like that. My attitude and all that stuff is is really the same. I think that comes from and and both of you would know that you know being entrepreneurs and, and being in that space that that never goes away. That drive doesn't doesn't leave, and um, and that's why you do it. And so um, it, also it, it it kind of for me I, I you know it, to, to to look at like let's say I'm going to be a supplier for the next forty years and essentially just kind of operate it um, isn't isn't part of my mo. And so I like to build. I like to be in the be at the forefront of what's changing because that's where I feel most comfortable. And so for me, as like I find other opportunities to kind of re to exude that creativity that I have in business, um, I just continue to take them. And so it just it, it doesn't feel like it's any different doing you know the new, the new retail shop versus doing doing iClick. Um, it's just another extension of kind of business creativity and taking risks and doing something new in a new space. And uh, and this the shop that we've got, which is both online and, and in a physical retail presence, it's funny you bring up the whole idea of like the product and how that isn't necessarily we put the focus on aside of this new retail venture is very much about the product. Um, however, and as much as iClick is too, it's about the curation of it, right? It's about the, the way that it's presented, about the way that, you know, we've kind of put things together. It's finding all the the little parts and putting them together in a way that makes makes it new, makes it different, makes it unique, and uh, that's what I've done with with this new thing and, and what I continue to do with iClick. Well, you know, and and sorry, just a quick follow up to that. I was just listening to your answer and thinking that at iClick, I don't know if there's anything in this question, question but I'll just throw it out here because it, it sounds like it's intel semi intelligent. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Brad will be the judge of that, but uh, I, I, you know, I'm listening that on the iClick side, you know, you've entered these big, competitive, commoditized segments, and recognizing that you can grow quickly by differentiating on service and brand and culture and all that stuff. Yet now you've started this other business and you've focused on super niche products, uh, a, a, a very small market, very curated, where the, the, the size of that business is, is going to cap out you know, much sooner than the iClick business will. So I almost feel like there's a bit of a tension between the two, uh, a good tension, but uh, was that on purpose or um, am I making this up? 
<laughs> I know you're not making anything up. Uh, although I would say I make a lot of stuff. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds good. Um, the uh, the the market potential for this is, I think, quite larger than than maybe even I thought initially yeah. uh, for something. There's a lot of like anything. You just get into a space, and all of a sudden, you start like kind of doors start opening up, and you start seeing partnerships and things that become interesting. Like already, we're we're going to start designing a product specifically for this brand of the, for the shop and the, the online, and hmm. that both will be sold here. But also, all of a sudden, it's like, well, now the world becomes, you know, the market for that, and then other shops can sell it. And you know, with that background, with the manufacturing, with the sourcing, that is like second nature to me. Now I have the outlet to be able to to provide that. And so, you know, I always feel like we start things. It's really important to just be again like an open mind to to seeing and feeling out these different directions and these different paths to see whether or not they they have the opportunity is legitimate or not. And there's there's enough opportunity in any business anybody is in to become very large. And mm. um, I, I think it's just about having that flexibility and the desire, which I have, uh, in both of those to be to make it more than what it appears to be. Right. And um, but I think it's also for me the way I like to build is just kind of start real small and to start and kind of just like work it out for a few months and then find some things and then when it really is feeling right, then punch it and and make it explode. And, um, and that's a lot we do with iClick too, just with like figuring out what the platform was, understanding how it is we're going to serve the customers, how we're going to do it so fast, and then we felt really confident about it. Then wham, knock it out there and get it out, and then we were on that hyper growth track and it it worked pretty well. So with Lon's little shop, you're basically creeping up on Jeff Bezos at Amazon. You know, before oh, he knows it, you you'll be like, yeah. "Where did that guy come from?" He's, he's been ordering on our site every day now. He's got a little something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Hey, Lon. Yeah. As as a guy who is, as you said, you're on on the forefront of things, and I, I think it'd be interesting to get your take on trends, things that you see happening in our industry, um, maybe predictions bold or otherwise that you know that that you see coming what can we expect i see um i i do see some further consolidation in the supplier side i think that um i think there's been a lot it's 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 much more expensive it seems now than it was five six years ago to be a supplier um all the more shows there are now the the onerous terms and the way that the, the distributors, both large and even medium now, are are putting on suppliers to you know kind of directing funds towards them. And they make it the distributors and rightly so are making it like kind of more and more difficult for smaller players to really make it. And it's also becoming, I think, more difficult to attract the attention of the the masses of the distributors for when when it's small. I think Again, five, six, seven years ago, when we were in it, I think it was easier. I think that there was less barriers to entry. So therefore, I think we're going to see some more consolidation from from different products, like kind of the single product categories, or even ones that are have a few but just don't have the, you know, the bandwidth and the manpower to kind of take it to that next step. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll see that. And then I think from the um, uh, the distributor uh, perspective, um, and I'll say this. Uh, definitely because Mark's on the phone, uh, but I also truly believe it, and you and I talk about it all the time, but it, it it's happened, we all see it, but I think it's going to happen in greater proportion to having these, the creative distributors, the ones that are positioning themselves like the the ad agency, the ones that are truly making remarkable 
promotions um, are going to be the ones that will succeed and start creating a lot of buzz. And it's you know we're seeing it some you know some promotions have you know taken off big that have been creative that have been uh, that have been started from distributors, but a, a couple more and we'll see more and more of this where people are starting to recognize the value that distributors bring uh, that isn't just price point. And uh, I think that'll really help uh, tremendously, and that will start to erode some of that. Hopefully that. Uber price competitiveness, where everybody's going against, you know, six people are going against a bid on, you know, on a pen, uh, it doesn't really help anybody at that point. And I think that at some point it starts taking the tides start turning, and people actually want something for their money. Uh, they don't just want what everybody else has. Mm. That's a that, that's an interesting uh, that's a really interesting answer. Uh, I know that we've addressed that topic uh, on on many previous podcast so it's really neat to get your perspective um lon just doing a time check here uh we're we're, we're probably ending uh getting near the end of, of things so i think we could probably ask uh, uh you know another question each for you um so I'll, what what i was going to ask and then we maybe turn it over to brad to get the last word is you know you started as uh an entrepreneur in this industry when you were in your early 20s you were right out of college mm -hmm. And it was in 2001, and um, you know you've since grown the business to, to where it is right now. What advice would you give to someone listening to this podcast that is 22 years old right now? He or she is interested in becoming a supplier in the promotional products industry. They've got uh, no cash, but they've got 14 credit cards. Um, what would they do? What should they do? Um, and what should they do in terms of focusing on that first six to nine months as they go about trying to create uh, a supplier business in this industry? Mm -hmm. I would say um, that if they really want to be in the industry, and it, then they need to just be in this industry. Again, no cash and kind of like limited resources. One of the mistakes that I've made, and I see this a lot with other people too, is maybe they have a great product uh, and they think it's, you know, uh, it's amazing and it's going to do well in the promotions, but they also see this retail opportunity. They might see something else over here. Um, that if they really want to be a supplier, they should focus on being a supplier because it takes a lot of effort to service distributors. And we see this even from from large brands that are you know retail brands that are trying to come into our industry and they just don't fully get it because they, it needs resource, it needs energy put into the processes to take the to, to just even take an order. And to process it in a way that's efficient, that makes the distributor feel like they're going to be taken care of, that's got all the pricing and everything, it's a lot of work. So if they want to be a supplier, just be a supplier and focus on it. And then focus on the, the, the back end. I mean, you've got the product, you figure out what the product is, and then figure out how you're going to service the distributor in a way that makes them you know, feel like they're dealing with a big-time supplier. And I would just encourage them to reach out to other suppliers that are open, like I certainly would be, and I know there's a lot of others that would be as well, to helping people kind of say, what are the, what are the knobs that you're turning to help you know, drive business towards you and making distributors, you know, creating those remarkable experiences? And um, if they focus on that, it, it, it's a slow industry, and, it, but it's a loyal industry. So every little order, make it remarkable, you know, make it right, and, um, and that will build on itself. And they just need to be confident that, uh, that they can keep going with it. Awesome. My last question for you, Lon, is um, you know, getting away from the products for a second and talking about the people. I've I've had contact with some of your people, uh, guys like Jeff uh, and and Reggie, and I, it seems very intentional. You you hire well, and I'm just curious 
what what's your process? What are you looking for in people, um, folks that are out there that maybe want to work for a company like yours or a guy like you? I mean, what kind of things do you look for and hold in high esteem when you're when you're hiring? I mean, it's. I think it's, the short answer is is simply just shared values. Is that you know not every, everybody? We all work in different ways, right? We all like have different ways of of achieving similar goals, um, but there are shared values that if we share the value that the customer, like you know, that the customer is the one we need to take care of, and that we'll do anything for the customer, and that we, you know, that communication is key, that we respond to both internally and externally quickly, and that time is of the essence, that we're, you know, that all those things like that usually add up to somebody like that personality working well with me and working well with the group. Um, and uh, so I think it's really just kind of the cultural fit that, again, that we that you kind of see iClick. And if somebody sees iClick and says, gosh, you know, I really love what they do, but they, but they understand what it is that we're doing, not just, wow, they're great service, but they understand the intricacies of that because it's the way that they work. And that usually tends to uh, be a successful hire for us. And um, at the end of the day, there's not really another way to know other than bringing somebody on. But for me, it's it's setting those expectations really clear up front, and for Jeff doing that as well, uh, our president, um, or people we bring on, and that people understand what's expected of them, and that they wouldn't be signing on, or we wouldn't have gotten this far if they didn't agree with those expectations fundamentally. And if they do, it usually works out quite well. And I think it it helps as we continue to grow our business and do things like the Be Remarkable video, and we get. You know, we just won this wonderful award, the ASI Supplier of the Year, and you know, more and more of that just kind of validates what it is that we're doing, and it it starts just attracting uh, people that want to just call us and say, "I want to work for you," and that's a great place to be, as you know, for business owners, to be able to choose rather than always being out there and and See. trying to recruit people. So, for one of the reasons we love these types of awards, and 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 even the marketing that we do, just, we talked about marketing before, but we want people when they walk away from our marketing not to say. Uh, I want to buy from them, but I want to work for them. And because I know that if somebody says I want to work for them, that I know they'll want to buy from them. And so, I mean, I look at that from you know the videos you guys do, Mark, at, at Right Sleeve, and when you guys are in the ping pong thing, that, or you guys at the Mini Cooper, um, you guys are just having fun. And you know, anybody that sees that says like, Gosh, I mean, that that's that's better than my work environment. That's really cool. And that's a great place. To be the mind share you can command with that far exceeds anything like I want to buy from them because I want to buy from them means you've got you're like a low price or like wow you're in 24 hours but if I want to work for those guys or that's a pretty cool place to work then I'm sure as heck going to buy from those guys because they're cool and so that leads to great hires I think what a great way to put it my gosh that's uh, yeah it's really interesting and again it just goes back to uh, elevating yourself beyond beyond the product and I think that the most successful suppliers and and certainly distributors that are out there um, are ones that uh, obviously embrace the fact that this is a product based transaction oriented industry but yeah. to the extent that you can rise above that and in your case you know developing remarkability if that's even a word uh, but we'll run with it now. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's, I just think it's really interesting. So uh, now, Lon, as, as is customary in all of these podcasts, you know, you're you're our guest. You're the one with the last word. Do you have anything else to say before we close this down? Oh boy, this is so customary. I should have prepared for something like that. Yeah, you're on the you're uh, on the hot seat. 
don't screw it up, dude. Just don't <laughs> find you know. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll, here's, my, here's my last word in kind of response to you, Brad. Was uh, a lot of people think this is uh, internally, and, and I've never told this to anybody else. But um, when I hired Jeff, uh, when I hired Jeff Hall, who's our president, about four years ago or so, you know, I talked about expectations and whatnot, and and uh, you know, we had taught obviously a lot of discussions and stuff before I brought him on as as the president of iClick. And you know we are and we were just rocking back then, and uh, I bring him on as the president. And uh, his first day at work, um, he comes in and there's just a, a notepad, a paper on his desk, and I said, Jeff, don't fuck this up, one. <laughs> and to this day, he's got it hanging on his desk, and he just says, Don't worry, boss, I haven't fucked it up yet. <laughs> that's outstanding. See, now that's the kind of last impression I'm talking about right there. <laughs> There you go. That is still recording. <laughs> Damn straight, brothers. We are still recording. Right on. All right. Well, uh, listen, thanks so much, uh, Lon. Thanks so much, Brad. This was certainly uh, a really fun ride. And, um, you know, this is actually one of those podcasts that I, I've got this little notepad that I was, like, writing stuff down. I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, I should tweet that out. And that's it, great. So there were some really great uh, morsels in there. So thanks so much, Lon. Hey, thank you guys. That was really fun, and I look forward to seeing you guys in Vegas next week. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. All right. Thank you. Take care.